Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. I have a bonus mini episode for you today about the blackout killer. In my next upcoming episode, The Last Hangman, I will be covering Albert Pierpoint and the movie made about his career as executioner from 1931 to 1956. During his career, he executed somewhere between 435 and 600 people. 200 of those were from war crimes that took place during World War II, such as the Beast of Belsen and Irma Gress. Pierpoint executed many notable murderers in the UK, but one that was not featured in the movie was Gordon Cummins, a.k.a. the Blackout Killer or the Blackout Ripper. So for this mini-episode, we will go over one of the truly horrible men that Albert Pierpoint had to encounter during his job as head executioner in 1942. This episode describes murder and other assaults. Listener discretion is advised. Gordon Frederick Cummins was a British serial killer known as the Blackout Killer and the Blackout Ripper because he committed his murders during the wartime blackouts in London, and some of these were as violent as those of Jack the Ripper. One detective superintendent within the Metropolitan Police described the murders as by far the most vicious he had ever investigated during his entire career. Let's go over why they were considered so vicious and just how Cummins took advantage of the blackouts. Gordon Frederick Cummins was born on February 18, 1914, the first of four children. Cummins' father was a civil servant who ran a school for delinquent youths. He attended private school in Landovery, South Wales. Cummins moved to Newcastle when he was 18. He had three different jobs within three years, all of which let him go. In 1935, Cummins volunteered to join the Royal Air Force. In May 1936, he met Marjorie Stevens. Following a seven-month courtship, the couple married at Paddington Register Office. The couple had no children. Cummins is suspected of committing his first two murders in October 1941. His first suspected victim was a 19-year-old clerk named Maple Churchyard, who was murdered on October 13th. Her nude body was found by workmen in a bombed-out house. She had been strangled to death. The pathologist said it was likely a left-handed individual. There was no sexual assault, and her handbag had to be emptied, with a few things missing. On October 17th, Edith Eleonora Humphreys, a 48-year-old widow, was found in her home, bludgeoned and her throat slit. She had been hit multiple times on the face and head before her attacker cut her throat. She also had a single stab wound to her skull, which penetrated her brain. The door to her property was ajar, and investigators found no signs of a forced entry to her home. Several items of jewelry had been stolen. Cummins' exemplary performance earned him a transfer to the Air Crew Receiving Center in Regent's Park, where he was to be stationed with 300 other men. Cummins was ordered to report for duty on February 2, 1942. On February 9, 1942, the body of 41-year-old pharmacist Evelyn Hamilton was found in a street-level air raid shelter. Her clothes were in disarray and her scarf wrapped around her head. There were signs that Hamilton had fiercely struggled with her attacker. Her underwear had been pulled down past her knees and her shirt and bra pulled up. Her handbag had been stolen. 
No fingerprints were recovered from any of her possessions. Evelyn had last been seen alive by a waitress at Mason Lyons Corner House shortly before midnight, drinking a glass of white wine to celebrate her 41st birthday. The location of her body led investigators to believe she had been attacked on her walk back to her boarding house in the early hours of the following morning. Hamilton's postmortem revealed she had been manually strangled by a left-handed individual. Numerous small cuts and scratches had been inflicted to her right breast and a cut measuring one inch was found on her left eyebrow. On February 10th, two meter readers discovered the naked and mutilated body of 34-year-old Evelyn Oatley lying upon her bed in her flat in Soho. She had been bludgeoned, strangled, and her throat slit. She had been extensively mutilated in the genitals, abdomen, and thighs. A blood-stained razor blade and a can opener with blood on it had been found nearby. Fingerprints were obtained from the can opener, but there was no match with the fingerprint bureau. She had been sexually violated using a flashlight that was still inside her. The door to her apartment had been closed but not locked. Oatley was a married woman who, at the outbreak of World War II, had turned to prostitution to supplement the income she earned as a nightclub hostess. Margaret Florence Lowe's body was discovered by her 15-year-old daughter on February 13th. She had been dead for two days. She had been beaten and strangled with a silk stocking. Her body had been extensively slashed and mutilated with a number of weapons, including a razor blade, a vegetable knife, a table knife, and a poker, all of which were found sticking out of or next to her body. Her abdomen had been slashed open. A large serrated bread knife protruded from a wound close to her groin, and a wax candle had been inserted inside her. Fingerprints were recovered from the scene, including on the base of a glass candlestick holder, a glass tumbler, and a half-drunk bottle of beer. The fingerprints on the glass candlestick holder were found to belong to the murderer's right hand, indicating he was left-handed. Lowe was a widowed mother of one from Southend-on-Sea. After her husband died in 1934, Lowe sold the family business and enrolled her daughter in a boarding school. She then moved to London and worked as a house cleaner. Shortly thereafter, using the alias Peggy Campbell, she began to engage in prostitution. Every third weekend, her daughter Barbara would travel to London from Southend to visit her mother. Lowe would devote those weekends exclusively to her daughter, taking her to the cinema and visiting local landmarks. Thursday, February 12th, Gordon Cummins propositioned a 25-year-old prostitute named Catherine Mulcahy in Regent Street. Mulcahy, who used the alias Kathleen King, said they could go to her flat. Once inside, Cummins attempted to strangle her as he pinned her body to the bed with his own weight. Mulcahy fought him, kicked his stomach with her boot, and broke free as Cummins fell to the ground beside the bed. Mulcahy then ran screaming from her flat to the house of a neighbor. Cummins partially dressed himself before approaching her neighbor's flat. He then gave her eight more one-pound notes and told her he was sorry and had too much to drink that night. Mulcahy shouted her belief he was a murderer, and Cummins grabbed his coat and fled, not noticing that he left his RAF webbing belt behind. Doris Jeunet was found by her husband. The bedroom door was locked when he got home, and he tried to pry it open before finally calling the police. The officer found Doris on her bed with a silk stocking knotted around her neck. He told the husband not to go into that room and then asked the station officer to alert Scotland Yard. The examination of the body at the crime scene revealed Jonay's jaw had been broken before she had been strangled with the stocking.
Her abdomen, genitals, left breast, and thighs were extensively mutilated with a razor blade and knife in a similar manner to the bodies of Oatley and Lowe. The life used to mutilate Jonet had been placed on her thigh. Two used condoms lay on the floor beside the bed, and a gold watch and approximately five pounds had been stolen from the flat. Jonet was known to only occasionally dabble in prostitution. She had married her husband, who had previously been a client of hers, in November 1935. She said she would only resort to sex work when she needed a few extra shillings to supplement the money her husband gave her. Her husband managed a hotel and slept overnight there when his employment required him to do so. On the evening of February 13, 1942, Cummins convinced a young married woman named Margaret Haywood to have dinner with him. Afterwards, they walked in the direction of Haymarket. Haywood later stated at this point Cummins became unpleasantly forward towards her, pushing her into a doorway near Piccadilly Circus and putting his arms around her waist as he attempted to persuade her to go with him to an air raid shelter. Haywood agreed to one kiss before telling Cummins there was no nearby air raid shelters and she wouldn't go with him even if there was. Cummins' groping became more forceful and Margaret started to fight him off and tried to get away. Cummins grabbed her by the throat and pushed her further back into the doorway. He strangled her into unconsciousness. Cummins' attack was interrupted by an 18-year-old delivery boy named John Shine, who was carrying bottles of drink into the nearby Captain's Cabin pub. Cummins fled, leaving his RAF-issued gas mask and haversack in the doorway. Shine ran to help Haywood, who had regained consciousness, and he offered to accompany her to a hospital. They encountered a policeman named James Skinner, who suggested the two accompany him to West End Central Police Station. A detective sergeant named Thomas Shepard noted the RAF regimental number 525987 printed on the inside of the haversack. Shepard immediately contacted the Royal Air Force Police. A staff sergeant quickly ascertained the gas mask and haversack had been issued to Cummins. Detective Sergeant Thomas Shepard formally questioned Cummins on the morning of February 14th. He claimed innocence and said he had spent the evening drinking whiskey with a corporal whose name he could not remember at the Volunteer Public House in Baker Street. He claimed to have no memory of attacking Haywood, but expressed his regrets and offered to pay her compensation. Questioned as to why the knuckles upon his left hand were cut and bruised, Cummins claimed to have received the wounds while performing maintenance upon an airplane engine. He was arrested and held on remand upon a charge of causing grievous bodily harm. Belongings from some of the murder victims were found in Cummins' possession. Fingerprints from two crime scenes matched Cummins' fingerprints. Two of the ten one-pound banknotes Catherine Mulcahy got from her attacker were brand new and able to be traced back to Cummins. Further, Mulcahy was able to identify Cummins in a lineup. Cummins went on trial. With all the evidence, the jury took just 35 minutes to deliberate. Gordon Frederick Cummins was sentenced to death by hanging. As you know, the head executioner that day, June 25, 1942, was Albert Pierpoint. The hanging took place while a German air raid was happening over London. Be sure to check out the next episode coming out on July 30th that covers the career and interesting way Albert Pierpoint's personal life intersected with his professional life. We will also go over some more of the notorious murderers Pierpoint was there to execute. Thank you for listening. Please come visit me on social media on Twitter at Avenue Crime and on Instagram, Cherry Avenue True Crime. 
If you would like to support the show, please tell a friend or share about the podcast on social media. Until next time, as always, please be safe. The sources for today's episode will be in my show notes, and they are as follows. Serial killer blackout ripper Gordon Cummins, MurderUK.com. How the blackout ripper killed so horrifically, Daily Mail Online. Albert Pierpoint Wikipedia, Gordon Cummins Wikipedia, Gordon Cummins, Gordon Cummins Criminal Mind Wiki Fandom.